I'm often asked, how, how do we motivate people in this environment? Well, it's the same basic underlying motivations. How we get there is different. Welcome to the Ivy Academy Presents Leadership in Practice, where we discuss critical issues in business, unpack new research, and hear from industry experts about the latest trends. In a corporate environment that's evolving faster than ever, we find ourselves at the crossroads of technological advancement, economic shifts, and the redefinition of what it means to work. Leaders of today are figuring out how to adapt to change and engage their teams for an uncertain future. But there's also opportunity to find a competitive edge through innovation and creativity. From full-time remote workplaces to generative AI, many of these experiments have yet to play out. In this special edition of Leadership in Practice for Global Ivy Day 2023, we're inviting three leading Ivy Business School faculty members to explore how organizations can reinvent their approaches to work. Joining us are Martha Maznevsky, Professor of Organizational Behavior, Janice Byrne, Assistant Professor of Entrepreneurship, and Ramel Mustafa, Director of Ivy's Lawrence National Center for Policy and Management. Listen in as we explore the secrets of attracting, motivating, and retaining the workforce of tomorrow. This episode is hosted by Brian Benjamin, Executive Director of the Ivy Academy at Ivy Business School. Hello and welcome. Uh, Today is an extra special day uh, in that we are celebrating Global Ivy Day. And so while we always have global representation, uh, we know that today is going to have an even broader representation of uh, of Ivy alumni as well as other guests uh, that we're going to have across the world. Our topic today is a topic that is so important. uh, And it's a topic that you cannot go a day without having a discussion or, or hearing conversations going back and forth. So we are going to be talking about empowering people in the new world of work. Uh, We've got three amazing panelists here, individuals that I am happy to call colleagues, and they're going to be supporting us as we move forward. So I'm going to give some uh, quick introductions. Uh, Martha Maznevsky. Martha is a professor within uh, the Organizational Behavior Group uh, here at Ivy. She joined uh, in uh, 2016. Uh, after returning, sort of after two decades of being overseas, where she did a lot of uh, fantastic work uh, with uh, with global organizations, she's also leading our uh, our work on lifelong learning initiatives. Super important for us uh, here at Ivy. We are also joined uh, by Janice Byrne. Uh, so Janice, associate professor in entrepreneurship. Uh, Janice's research primarily addresses gender in entrepreneurship and family business. So it's uh, it, it's terrific to have her perspective on this conversation as we move forward. And third up is Ramel Mustafa, Assistant Professor within Business, Economics, and Public Policy. Ramel's research interests are in the areas of strategy and capability development in new firms, innovation, 
uh, and competitive dynamics. Uh, Ramel also is a director of Ivy's Lawrence National Center for uh, for Policy and uh, and Management. So we couldn't have brought together a better collection of experts uh, for our discussion here uh, today. I'm also going to introduce you to our colleague uh, Sean Aquin Grant, who leads uh, the uh, marketing function here at the Ivy Academy, and he's going to give uh, a couple of uh, opening remarks and and really help set us up for some success here as we we dive into our conversation. So. So uh, over to you, Sean. Thanks, Brian. And happy Global Ivy Day to everyone joining us. The best way that you can help us shape the conversation today is by asking questions. So we encourage you to participate as early and as often as you like by clicking the Q&A icon in the bottom of your window. You can also send comments through the chat. As Brian mentioned, it's Global Ivy Day, and I know we have alums and guests joining us from all over the world. So to try out that chat feature, let us know where you're tuned in from by typing in the chat window now. We'll also be asking for your input on a couple of poll questions related to the evolution of work. If you're on mobile, you may not see the option to answer, but we'll describe the results for everyone and share them as part of our follow-up email. Your votes are anonymous and there are no wrong answers. This is just to help us get a sense of your perspectives as we start the session. So I'm going to launch the first poll now. We're asking, what is driving the evolution of work? It's a big question. So you can choose multiple options, but we encourage you to pick your top three at most. Is it a renewed focus on work-life balance, more dynamic career paths, economic challenges, technology, changing social values, globalization, demographic shifts? Let us know what you think. And while you answer, I'll turn it back to Brian and our panel to get things started. Uh, terrific. Thanks for uh, getting us going, Sean. And, and we'll take a peek at the results in a little bit as they start to come in. I'm so excited. I'm seeing uh, where people are, are dialed in from. So I can actually say uh, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening. Good late night. Uh, you know, we've got people from coast to coast to coast here in Canada, but we've also got uh, all other continents represented, uh, big towns, small towns, uh, and some people might be somewhere really exciting in, in the outdoors. Some people are, are sitting at their, their desk as, as part of their uh, uh, their office day. So so great to see such uh, such representation because this truly is a global challenge and it's a global opportunity uh, for us to sort of come together. So I'm going to dive in uh, and we're going to get going uh, here with um, with our first question. Uh, and Romel, I'm going to put you on the, the hot seat first uh, and uh, I'll give you a sort of fair warning here. We, we talk about the evolution of work and, and, and we hear that term so much. What does the evolution of work actually mean? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me, Brian, and uh, every, to everyone, you know, uh, happy Global Ivy Day. Uh, it is an you know interesting question and challenging to explain. Um, we, as you said, you know, we throw around the phrases like evolution of work, future of work quite a lot, often not realizing what that really, you know, they really capture, right? Um, I'll take a stab at it. You know, in a nutshell, I think evolution of work, you can think of it as the way in which work has adapted, has been adapted and changed over time in response to, say, social shifts, technological advancements, economic trends, where things get complicated, of course, is that work itself is multidimensional, right? Uh, you can think of uh, within any occupation, for example, there are dimensions such as you know, task variety, task significance, skill variety, skill significance, on-the-job learning, feedback, uh, level of autonomy, compensation, work environment, right? And so and so. And within an organization, all these, org you know, dimensions are shaped by, you can think of organizational structure, culture, leadership, 
and so on, right? And so, and, and and these dimensions are also influenced by external forces, namely, again, you know, the technological, societal, and economic changes, which interact with organizational features, often creating new tasks and displacing some others as well. Now, now, you know, you could think that, you know, looking back to your own career, for example, for the last 10, 20 years, you know, how your work has changed along these some of these dimensions. And you might even think that work, it continuously evolves. But I think what is important to recognize is that there are some moments in history when the evolutionary path of work is at an inflection point. What I mean by that is that there are multiple forces within, you know, significant intensity, all are in play all at once, so much so that there are fundamental changes in the work dimensions leading to important changes in how we work and even where we work. My sense is that we are at at the cusp of, of such an inflection point that demands urgency and attention uh, uh, to ensure how we effectively navigate through this punctuated change, or shall we say, you know, revolution in work. I'll be a little pr- provocative and stop there essentially. All right. Well, thanks for getting us going. So um, no one, you know, simple 10 word definition, that's for sure. You know, an incredibly complex uh, topic with multiple forces. So Janice, uh, you are going to be up next. And uh, I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, sort of what's what's driving this. So Ramil touched on it a little bit in, in sort of helping us sort of scope a definition. But, you know, tell us your thoughts on, on, on what are some of the drivers behind this evolution? For me, one thing that I hear an awful lot um, when I'm interacting with um, entrepreneurs or people who've got their own businesses, a change also that's happening within the people that are working. Um, so an actual the individuals like, you know, Gen Z, who we have today, the demand, people wanting flexible work, people caring more about like wellness, people caring more about, you know, equity, diversity and inclusion. Um, We're seeing basically a change in the generation of workers that we have in terms of what people want and what people value. I think that's definitely one thing that's that's driving it um, at an individual level anyway. That's great. Martha, what, what what would you add? Janice sort of set you up there. So Ramel and Janice have covered a lot of the drivers, what's what's driving this. I think the flip side is the enablers. Um, you know, we all we talk a lot about what's driving the evolution of work. Some of those same things are enabling the evolution of work. So the technology that's actually letting us do things in new ways, both the uh, doing the jobs differently, as Romel said, but also acting on the different values that we have, which which Janice talked about. And so uh, in some ways, the technologies in that are drivers, but in other ways, they're real enablers and shifts in those values and shifts in what people are thinking are also enabling us to to rethink. So I think the, the drivers and enablers, sometimes two sides of the same coin, but they act differently, both as drivers and enablers. I, I love the way you position it there. And, and it, it's so important for something as complex as this. We need to look at it from multiple angles because, uh, yes, there's risks and, yes, there's concerns. And equally, there's infinite opportunities that get created uh, from, from this as well. So, Sean, how are we doing with the poll? Are we ready to close it off? Sure. So I'm going to share some results now. For our audio listeners, the results of our first poll, What is Driving the Evolution of Work?, are that 88% believe that individual values and priorities are shifting. 60% see technology disrupting the way we work. 39% credit changing social values. 26% notice demographic shifts in organizations. Another 26% think fluid career paths are more normalized. 24% believe economic challenges are introducing external pressures and 12% see globalization having an impact. 
we can see actually that 88% of people who responded felt that individuals' values and priorities are shifting. So already I'm seeing a theme with some of our answers and and clearly with what our our audience is feeling as well. Well, that was it was a perfect segue into what Janice was uh, sort of talking to around you know what people value and 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 expect um, as they interact with the the world of work. So nice to see that validated and and some other um, hot areas as well. So we're going to keep that in the back of our mind. Uh, just a reminder, do feel free to put questions into the Q&A. I see a few are already coming up. Our, our brave panelists are, are going to attempt to answer some of them when they can in the Q&A, and, and I will work some of them into our conversation. I see the first one was on AI, and, and there's absolutely no way I'm going to let anyone off of this live stream without touching on AI at some point, given we're talking about the evolution of work. Let's let's turn it back to the panelists. Uh, you know, when you looked at the, the results that just came in from the poll, I was going to say, you know, any surprises, but that I'm just going to sort of open it up a little bit more in terms of what were your reactions to to the poll? So if, if I can jump in, um, first of all, I, I didn't expect 88% of people to talk about individuals, values and priorities are shifting. I did expect that would be up there, but that's, you know, that's almost everyone. And, you know, the number two is technology, but number three, and the only other one that's that's kind of, uh, it's about 40%, so it's almost, almost a majority, not quite, is about changing social values. So the fact that two of the top three are about people shifting, that's that tells me a lot about how people are feeling and, and what they're experiencing right now, that the social and personal shifts that people are experiencing and feeling are even bigger than some of these other things. Janice or Ramel, any, any reactions to the poll? No, no, I, I agree with uh, Martha as well. And, uh, you know, one area where I, I might weigh in a little bit about the demographic shifts, right? And so, if we think about the baby boomers retiring, right, and that is leading to also displacement of workers uh, with certain skills, right, that is leading to changes in the workforce in our economy, and that also has implications about bargaining powers of you know existing workers, you know, in, in terms of the way they see you know how they envision the future of work, for example, right. So I'll put that up in there as well um, as an important you know driver. I also think it's it's funny that you know if we had this conversation about a decade ago or fifteen years ago, like globalization, outsourcing, and offshore would have been just like off the chart, and now that's no longer an issue. It's no longer a burning issue for a lot of people. It's interesting, and thanks for sort of teeing that up. I, I saw a couple of themes in in the Q and A so far around you know sort of going through evolutions. It, it, this is not the first, nor will it be the last time. How does this differ from sort of past evolutions as it relates to to work or where does it differ? And where is maybe the same? Maybe I can, you know, jump in here. And, and I think, I mean, uh, in many ways, you know, if we go back and I'm looking at Paul's uh, question here on the, you know, Q&A essentially, right, that if we go back to the agrarian-based uh, economy 250 years prior to the Industrial Revolutions 1 and 2, your work was predominantly where you lived, right? So the, the, that, that was the predominant means of uh, economic activity. But what fundamentally changed during the first and second Industrial revolution, I think, is, you know, tremendous change in the way we produce, you know, industrial goods, right? There has been substantial division of labor, effective coordination with labor aided by what then was considered the state of the art machine tools. And organizing under one roof often enables you to economize in a coordination cost monitoring on the job training, 
right? And that enabled scaling of mass production. Now, all that also led to clearly social tensions. You know, many books have written, you know, are written about that. And one of my favorite is, you know, by Charles Dickens' Hard Times. Um, over the years, you know, obviously we've seen even services, you know, being uh, also, you know, uh, essentially organized in a similar fashion where there's teamwork, right? Uh, economizing uh, coordination costs leading to, you know, co-location of this type. But I think fundamentally now what we're seeing is that technology, and you know, some, you know, some of you have already uh, captured it, has really reduced coordination costs to the point now that you can effectively do various tasks which are highly, it requires highly division of labor, in, especially in, in, in the service sector, anywhere, potentially anywhere, and that is, you know, from your home as well, right? There is this big push towards, you know, this hybrid work model, if you will, right, which is, which is somewhat different from the industrial revolution, which actually brought in workers in co-located in, uh, in one area, now you know, activities are much a little more dispersed, if you will. So this is actually, I think, a perfect time to, to take our conversation down the path of what does this mean for organizations? And, and you know, how are we going to set organizations up for success in, in this sort of evolution of, of work. So Sean, I'm going to put you back to work because we've got a second poll here and we want to get our audience participation numbers up. And our question is really around what are the most impactful way organizations can support new ways of working? Uh, a couple of different options here, purpose-driven goals, support well-being. So everything from mental health to financial planning and, and uh, the elusive work-life, life-work balance, you know, offering more competitive compensation, uh, allowing for flexibility in terms of where and how and when work happens, uh, nurture positive culture, and, and provide growth opportunities. So uh, I think we're going to go with the same rules in terms of, of, you know, try to pick your top three. Uh, I'm excited about all of them to some extent, uh, and there's probably some others as, as well. Can I just, while people are doing that, Brian, can I just jump in with what has not changed? Absolutely. Go ahead. So so lots have changed, and I agree that we're kind of ripe for for a change in the environment. A lot of what's not changed is the basics of human motivation. Uh, you know, people are still people and, um, you know, we're still really motivated. Uh, the, the social psychology research, um, at least in the, the Western social psychology research, suggests we're motivated by, by three things, our relationships with people. So people, uh, influence and, and personal growth. And that's always been true. Um, I think you know what what has changed is our expectation of being able to uh, to get those needs met in a variety of ways, having choices around that, or at least perceived choices, not choices, the environment um, for it, uh, and the tools for it. That has changed. But the basics, you know, I, I'm often asked how how do we motivate people in this environment? Well, it's the same basic underlying motivations. How we get there is different. Thank you. You for um, for sharing, uh, and I do think it's important. Sometimes when when we're going through such change at such a, a massive scale, um, we often only focus on what is changing, what is different. Uh, but there are certain things that are not right, and and some things that we can also leverage and and kind of learn from and 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 hang on to. Uh, so, uh, so Sean, how are we doing with our our poll here? We've got a, a ton of responses, and I'll share the results now. The results of our second poll asking. 
What are the most impactful ways organizations can support new ways of working are 82% think organizations should prioritize flexibility in how and where work is done. 61% suggest that organizations should support well-being. 51% want organizations to provide growth opportunities and learning. 40% believe in nurturing a positive culture. 30% want their organization to set purpose-driven goals. And 25% would prioritize more competitive compensation. Interestingly, 82% predicted allow for flexibility. Allow for flexibility. Yeah, that is the, the where, how, when, um, which is interesting, right? It's probably one of the biggest shifts that we've seen in terms of, of where we were in, in sort of past evolutions and where we are. Uh, where we are now. So a very simple question in terms of, of how I'm going to state it, but a very sort of tough one to answer. Organizations are grappling to to stay ahead. It is a hyper competitive market for uh, for talent right now. We're in very unique times. What's at stake for organizations? Let's look through the lens. So so how are we as organizations going to succeed in this, in this sort of new reality? What's at stake? I mean, clearly what's at stake is keeping people um, you know, reducing turnover, uh, attracting talent, retaining talent, which is a huge issue right now. And I would also up the ambition on that. And th that's kind of table stakes. You want to attract good people, retain good people. What's also at stake is being able to solve complex problems for your value proposition. If employees are engaged and we're um, using the opportunities of new tools and new ways of working, we have the opportunity to solve some really sticky problems, or at least to try and start solving them both for customers in, in companies and also for society. Uh, so I, I, I think the stakes are enormous. They go way beyond uh, retaining and attracting people. But that for sure is is uh, an important part of what's at stake. Yeah, I'm happy to you know chime in here, and I think I'll just connect that to the the fact that you know I think the whole competitive advantage of a company, you know, its performance and long term success will depend you know substantially based on this effective transition to you know what we call the future of work. There was a question before about implications of AI. You know, with AI and digital technologies and some of the use cases that you're seeing is that, you know, the, the, you know, from personalized recommendations to fraud detection, automation data entry, you know, these can potentially generate substantial efficiencies, right? And so corporations will look towards, you know, potentially, you know, adopting some of these uh, technologies. But at the same time, efficiency, as Michael Porter would tell you, that, you know, it's not all operational efficiencies will contribute to competitive advantage, right? You need to formulate strategy. And here you'll need, you know, creative set of activities that are hard to imitate. And the data insights that you might get from AI are going to be useful, but you also need probably human critical thinking, good judgment, common sense reasoning, right? Um, and other areas where at least for the foreseeable future, I'm not seeing it that AI has any particular, uh, are particularly capable, right? Uh, so in, in a sense, these skills will be key, you know, and, and retaining and, and attaining people and developing those ta talents would be important within organizations. Janice, what would you say, um, it, it, you've got a terrific sort of entrepreneur background, Any anything through the entrepreneur lens as it relates to organizations? Yeah, I suppose what I think is just the immense importance of of autonomy and letting people control what they do right and and so 
when I hear this conversation, I'm, you know, I come back to Martha's point about what people need in work and they need, you know, to feel competent. They need relatedness, uh, but they need autonomy. They need to feel like they're actually doing um, the control of what they're doing, but also that they're seeing themselves in what they do. And for me, that's linked to how, how do we engage people um, and keeping people engaged and this notion of really um, valuing individuals and just really centering individuals and in that what they want to do. And lots of the time what we're hearing right now at the moment is that, you know, young workers or, or when we're trying to attract people that they really want, you know, flexible work and they want to have control. Um, so I think we in, in organizations, we really need to think about, well, how can we do that? How can we get people feeling like they're autonomous and in control of their work and feeling like they've, yeah, they've, they've got a flexible workplace um, I'm feeling really that they can put their own thumbprint, I suppose, on what they do. The challenge, I guess, really is how do you do that at the same time as keeping uh, everybody pulling in the same direction? Yeah, that's a great comment around like fulfillment and and having a meaningful impact. And, and everyone's going to have a different definition of what's meaningful for me could be very different than what's meaningful for someone else and connecting it with what the organization is, is looking to achieve. It'd be really helpful, I think, for, um, for our audience to hear any sort of examples of organizations that are doing some really interesting work in this space and doing things well. Uh, you know, can can any of our panelists sort of share, you know, this organization is is sort of a great example of 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 this element that is is going to set them up for success in this sort of new world of work if you if you will. So, three organizations that we, we work with um but I like to focus on organizations who have a mix of yeah, some office workers, but also a lot of people who have to do their job in person. Uh because because it's a lot of when we're talking about evolution of work, we often forget that uh, we've kind of got two very different dynamics going on right now. One is people who can work remotely, flexibly, live their values in that. And, but we also need a lot of work done that people have to come to work for. And some, uh, so I, you know, I like to look at companies that are managing both of those kinds of workforces to look at creative solutions. And you know, three that that we've um, talked about and talked with a lot here: Alice Dawn. McCain and Lafarge. Um, so Alice Dawn, construction industry, and doing trying to do a lot of things for people who are working in construction to have this is your career. So uh, and all three of these, uh, McCain is uh, food industry. Uh, Maple Leaf Foods is another example. Lafarge uh, in a different part of the building materials industry. So uh, what I've noticed is all of those places, actually DeFasco now comes to mind as well, really focused on building career careers for everybody. And the kinds of programs that we used to only see for uh, white collar professional management kinds of tracks, uh, attracting a lot of people throughout your career is here, have your whole career here. So really, really focusing on engagement throughout the organization. And the other thing I think makes a big difference is having the conversation that it's not fair that some people get to choose where they work and other people don't. Uh, so if you don't have that conversation, it becomes really the elephant in the room. People uh, who see their colleagues saving money because they don't have to travel into work every day and not seeing that reflected in their own, like even basics like that, it feels very inequitable at a basic level not to have the choice, like, it, like Janice talked about the autonomy, but then to have that lack of choice punished in other ways feels very inequitable. So the, the companies that I've um, seen 
have a better response to this are companies that have openly talked about those kinds of things as well as developing kind of career paths and career alternatives for everybody in the whole company. If if I could just jump in there, I think another thing that we're seeing happening is companies, um, and again, I'm coming at this from an entrepreneurship perspective, but companies like, you know, more and more. So these, these lessons that we've learned from kind of entrepreneurs, like, like when we see, you know, design thinking or agile methods or um, the lean startup, we see the thing being popularized more and more. And now we also see organizations getting in and trying to capture some of that knowledge and actually use it in their organizations. And so we've heard, you know, we see the emergence of hybrid startups where they're actually companies, and I can cite two, which they're car companies, but like Volkswagen and Mercedes, both who've actually started this, you know, these who really captured this notion of a hybrid startup where you basically share, you know, people, processes and resources. You get the best of both and you've got your corporate entity and you've got your kind of entrepreneurial entity and you're bringing both of them together and you're actually really trying to to start. It's a hybrid startup. So it's like a corporate um, a startup um, where you're really trying to take advantage of individuals and their kind of their need for autonomy and control. But all these individuals often lack maybe is legitimacy, but they've got the legitimacy of the big corporation and the corporation gets the benefit of their agility and their energy. And it's not uh, held back by bureaucracy. Um, And so both Volkswagen and with Haycar and uh, Mercedes starting up with RepairSmith, both of these are examples of like hybrid startups where companies have really tried to use the entrepreneurial energy and talent that's out there and blend it together with some of their internal know-how and resources too to really dynamize what they're doing. I think it's fascinating is is the examples that were shared both right now, Janice and, and Martha, you know, these are organizations by and large that have been around for decades and decades and decades. So it's not just if I'm starting a brand new company for the first time and I've got sort of you know, the the ability to to plan things out and, and build it sort of fit for purpose for this new reality. It's organizations that are reinventing themselves and, and looking for opportunities for how do we make work meaningful in, uh, in an environment that may have been different than making work meaningful 10, 20, 30 years ago. talk a little bit about sort of the the other elements that 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 the factor in here so if we think about this almost like a triangle we've got the organization here we've got the individual here and we've got the leader uh here and sometimes people play multiple roles and uh, so we've talked about some some organizational sort of expectations and things that that comp- you know companies can do what can leaders do you know we know that individuals are, are are highly influenced not just where they work it's who they work for and who they work with uh, I will touch on what can individuals do uh, on their own as well too, but that's a bit of a foreshadow. Let, let's spend a bit of time here on, you know, how's the role of leader change and how does it need to change um, through the evolution of, of work to support the organizations that they're they're leading in and, and the teams that they're leading? You know what, I'm going to go to you on, on Ramel. So, you know, some quick remarks on this one. And then I know Janice and Martha are going to have um, some points to do here as well. Right. No, no, clearly, um, you, you know, what we're seeing is there's also a lot of experiment that is happening, right? In terms of how do you really create organizational or, or adjust organizational structures and uh, culture in ways that, you know, it, it's going to potentially work for the transition in, in the future of work, right? And in, in some cases, some there, there's also insights to be had from 
leadership strategies that probably did not even work, right? So, um, you know, there were certain decrees by organizations that tried to call back, right, all uh, employees back to uh, the organization. Um, And one of the companies, it turns out, Goldman Sachs, right? And uh, even as of today, there are reports suggesting that workers haven't really moved in right so so organizations are struggling through through this process substantially and i think part of the you know uh challenges of course is to move away from the perspective that we had before to the new reality of in a work environment where again autonomy is uh, some level of autonomy that's going to be important uh, uh for workers workers do recognize also that you know learning is a shared kind of uh, activity right and so uh, there are surveys that suggest that uh, you know uh, workers are willing to say you know on average there are two to three days that they would want to come to the office it's not you know just remote only um so creating a framework that potentially allows you to uh, uh, establish some some kind of policy and maybe even, you know, instead of focusing on, you know, mandating what the policy should be from top down is to go back, you know, bottom up, if you will, uh, and and understand, you know, and define goals and objectives of, you know, hybrid working policy, given the industry, the department that uh, uh, there are, because, you know, the ability to do remote task varies even within departments, right? Identify roles and responsibilities of both employees and managers, including expectations around communication, collaboration, et cetera, right? And we can go on and on, but there needs to be certain pillars that leaders can essentially create in terms of designing that policy that you know requires consultation, if you will. Thanks for getting us kicked off, Ramil. I'm actually I want to turn to you next on this one, Martha, because um, you know you've spent the better part of your career within you know with leaders you know all around the world, and and would love to hear um, how the the expectations are, are changing and, and maybe where 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 they haven't changed as as well. What do you what are you seeing? So, so much. Uh... I think, um, first of all, can I suggest, uh, Janice, if you'll take this revision, autonomy, that we use the word influence instead of autonomy. I find leaders get, so so one of the problems, and this is one of the things I talk about, is leaders get in their own way. Um, And one of the things leaders do to get in their own way is when they hear people say, I want autonomy, I want flexibility, they kind of go, ah, I can't give you autonomy or flexibility because we have a job that needs to be done and I'm paying you for that. Um, and that defensiveness creates this dynamic that that ends up in micromanagement. Not always, but it but it can, right? So whereas if we use the word influence, I want to have some influence over how my work gets done. That that doesn't create the same thing. So it's just language. So I I found it really curious. I was asking my accelerated MBA students last uh, over the last few weeks to describe the teams that they're in, especially the um, virtual teams, and you know what works, what doesn't work. And these are students who are kind of generally late twenties, um, high achieving, highly ambitious, very motivated, and. And they love the influence that they have on their virtual teams, and that's when it works well. But almost every one of them also commented on, this would be better face-to-face. It would be better if we could have some face-to-face time. And I was actually surprised 
how much that comment came up. It would be better if we had at least some face-to-face. So I think um, uh, even that generation, it would be open to a little bit more. I think, so, so the role for leaders here is to be clear on what's not negotiable, but to be really clear about why it's not negotiable. So I'm just looking at a comment, you know, time at your desk. Serving the customer appropriately is not negotiable. Doing it while sitting at your desk might be negotiable, right? So, so, and it's a hard, what I find is the hardest thing for leaders is to figure out that few things, the short list of what actually needs to be done, the value proposition for the external stakeholders or the internal stakeholders. What's that really short list that is not negotiable that needs to be achieved uh, no matter what? And then for everything else is to have conversations. Um, and and Romel, you said experiment. Uh, I, I totally agree. Lots of experimentation. Um, I, I like ask, listen, try, right? A-L-T, ask, listen, try. So ask the question. And when you ask the question, you're giving people both an opportunity for influence and an opportunity to grow. Uh, and by listening, you're also showing relationships. So you're meeting those basic needs. So ask, listen, and then try, right? You don't need to have a policy today that's going to last for three years. You can try something for a few weeks or a few months and keep revisiting it with the ask, listen, try. So alt. I got a new acronym now that I'm going to imprint on. You know, interesting that we're, we're sort of talking about sort of the pendulum, right? And, and the pendulum swung all the way from predominantly in office to 100% remote. Um, and then, you know, essential workers were in a very different situation for a period of time. And then now we're sort of finding like, what is that next sort of spot and, and where does it ultimately settle? And it's going to settle somewhere different for different organizations. We're seeing differences in different parts of the world as well in terms of, of how and where work um, gets done. But I really like that comment on we don't have to put it in stone um, for the next 20 years, right? Like we're going to put this policy in place for now. And, and we're not going to change it every month, but but it's probably not going to have as long of a shelf life as maybe things have had um, in, in the past. I want to go to that, that third sort of um, leg on the stool, if you will. We've talked about organizations. We've talked about leaders. Let's put ourselves in the, the role of the employee. We, we've heard about sort of where expectations are shifting and, and, and what we're seeing. But what can employees do to set themselves up? Uh, for success in the new world of work and, and um, you know, find and, and, and continue to, to, to kind of keep um, engagement and, and, and fulfillment. What's the role of employee in all of this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here just because I think that we need also to think in terms of different generations. And so I'm just going to, um, and what, and our different needs related to that. Um, so one thing I'm thinking about, and because we've talked a little bit about the hybrid and the, the, being working from home or working in the office. I think that one thing that we really need to realize is that the younger general or people who are just first entering the organization, we need to learn, right? And need to be in contact with others and need to be around others to make for that tacit knowledge to to flow, right? It's those serendipitous kind of occasional meetings um, that we see and, you know, culture, it's so important, right? And that's what gels us together. And and how do we find out about culture? Well, it's in all those things that are floating around, right? In the corridors, it's in those, um, you know, meetings, just bumping into somebody in the hall. And so I think for me, one thing is to be mindful as an individual of what stage you're at in the company and what stage others are at, um, to think about your needs and to think about their needs. So if you're someone younger, maybe you like and appreciate the working from home aspect. It's great. It's so flexible. You can do all this. But 
be mindful of what you if you know if you can kind of occasionally interact or have those physical interactions or um you know when there are those efforts workplace to kind of have everybody come together rather than think of it as kind of a chore or something think about the opportunity and think of see it as an opportunity to learn um because <clears throat> i really feel like those kind of happenstance those just those meetings where we kind of interact with others and people who've got more experience in the workplace is where we can learn and we can kind of sometimes underestimate that i guess if we're coming at it from a younger person's perspective well, thanks for sharing that and i think that's where one of the three of you shared the, the comment around um you know, sort of share the why, right? Like, yeah, have those conversations. Don't just say, you know, return to the office because we need you to return to the office. It's, you know, create sort of meaningful reasons um, that work. But equally important is, you know, as an employee, think about, you know, what can I benefit from sort of that in-person, you know, interaction? And Janice, your comment around sort of that, the tacit learnings that just sort of happen when you're you're bumping into to people. Um, you know, I'm in our, our downtown um, Toronto campus here today. And, you know, I, I got a bunch of things ticked off my list because I bumped into people that I probably wouldn't have got ticked off quite as, uh, as quickly. Martha Ramel, other comments as it relates to the sort of the responsibility for, for employees and and what can we do as, as individuals engaging in, in work to set ourselves up for success? Yeah. And I'll chime in with, uh, you know, Janice as well. I mean, you know, the old adage, invest in yourself and, you know, in, in skills that potentially would be complementary to the new technological, you know, evolution. And no matter, you know, what particular occupation you get drawn into, um, you know, I think there will be uh, certain skills. We're already seeing, you know, potential skills that AI, at least for the next foreseeable 20 years, uh, may not necessarily be capable of, and that would be, of course, improving on, you know, critical thinking, improving on good judgment, and uh, uh, as well as, of course, you know, uh, reasoning, uh, which are all going to be important, I think, going forward, because you might get insights from, you know, AI data-driven, uh, you know, um, uh, applications but then making those actions, business decisions and actions are going to be important where then, you know, much of that, of course, is tacit knowledge itself, right, whereby, um, you know, you develop over your career. So I think finding those opportunities to learn uh, and uh, upgrade into those skills are going to be meaningful going forward. I want to shift a little bit here, uh, and I'm, I'm going to start with you on this one, uh, Martha. When we're thinking about organizations, um, they're, they're ecosystems that uh, are are completely different and and sometimes completely similar, right? In 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 some ways. So we've got you know frontline workers right up to executive leaders. You know some organizations have to have workers um, you know physically present to perform their job. Others have full flexibility to work when, where, how um, makes sense for each individual. From a policy standpoint, like where do organizations start? Like, in, is it an all-encompassing policy? Is it is it a series of policies? I know so many organizations are asking um, for support and trying to learn from others. Any any tips um, 
as it relates to that. It's not easy. There's no magic wand or, or anything, and unfortunately. And and that's it was actually uh working with organizations who were facing that that I observed the the value of ask, listen, try. Because you know, a couple of years ago I would be asked for advice and I would kind of go uh, well, what did your employees say when you asked them? And I would get this kind of blank look. Well, ask them what? Well, ask them what their needs are uh, and ask them how they think they can fulfill the work. Oh, well, we haven't done that yet. We thought we should have a policy to take first. And I think we're in such uncharted territory that um, that we actually, it, there is an individual situation. So where, where I've seen it work best is, is, you know, ask people what they need with the parameters that this is the work that needs to be done, right? And then also don't be, again, don't be afraid to ask people, what do you think is fair? You know, looking at the whole organization and it's not going to be the same policy for everybody. So, so, you know, being transparent and open about that, um, but uh, but making sure there's equity and uh, you know we're used to equity in in the context of diversity, equity and inclusion. I just mean equity in terms of people feeling like their psychological as well as as formal contract with the organization is fair compared with other people's. That's such an important word, and I'm glad you introduced that. Right? Is is um you know, it doesn't have to be the same. In fact, it, it, often it's impossible for it to be the same um, based on the work I'm doing versus maybe a colleague in a different department or a different division. But, you know, can we feel that it's fair across? Can we feel that 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 different factors have been considered? And, and let, let me just, uh, just add on to that, that if you're going to have an ecosystem, an organization where different people have different kinds of policies, uh, uh, according to them, and people believe that it's equitable, it's fair, it has to be underpinned by trust. Uh, because everybody knows that things are going to change. And so it's only when employees trust their leaders that they will trust that if things change, equity will be restored. So we can have lots of policies, but I think way more important than that than that is trust that comes with transparency and then demonstration that I want to help you, you know, I want to make it work for you. There's a job to be done that doesn't go away. We have to get resources to do that job. So we have to make profits to be able to do that. But within that, like, you know, how can we work this out? And there has to be trust that uh, that that leaders will do that. If I could just jump in quickly, it's just to say, just building on that trust aspect, it's really this notion of, and this is like really old, right, management theory, like Douglas McGregor talking about theory X and theory Y. But for me, this notion of like, think about yourself as a manager, and what do you think about your employees or what assumptions are you making? Do you think that they're like people who can be trusted and will do their job well? Are they reliable or are they people who needed to be prodded and punched and kind of told how to do things? Right. And I really think if we come back to this idea of believing in people and that people want to be a success, people want to do jobs well. But, you know, is there systems? Are there things that are that are impeding them? And I really think we need to um, in today's world of work, we really need to come back to those basics of really you know, having good faith in individuals that people want to succeed, people want to do their best. And what way are we thinking about them as managers? And if we're in that, if we've shifted into theory X, well, maybe we should kind of reevaluate and go back to theory Y, that people do want to do a good job and be reliable and be successful. And if I can, you know, tag on to it, and there are actually, you know, live example, which is the pandemic, right? I mean, if you think about it, I don't think, you know, a lot of organizations have policies set up for how, you know, work will be get done and all that. But you know, we we went through it, and 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 for many organizations, for you know, with the different degrees, you know, we pulled through. And part of that, of course, I think, has been you know that tra trust, transparency, and you know things that uh, 
you know, my colleagues have articulated. I, I want to actually kind of wrap us on on sort of final final thoughts and and kind of give like sixty seconds, yeah, you know, ticking clock, sixty seconds to each of our panelists. If you could sum it up, like, what are one or two critical takeaways here? Whoever goes first gets the first sort of dip, but you have to keep it within sixty seconds. So there, there's it's a du- double edged sword on this one. Who's going first? Set the tone. You want to? Do you want me to take a stab at it? Maybe I'll do it even less than sixty seconds. Let's give it a try. All right, we're we're counting on you, Ramal. What do you got? You know the old adage: the only constant is change, and that applies to I think the future of work. You know, I mean this, the way that would change over the years. You know, the technology, social shifts, as well as um, you know economic forces. Um, you know, it's to be seen, right? And so uh, the, the only constant in foreseeable future is, of course, change. And there is an, you know, urgency to act, essentially, right? But, you know, fortune also favors, I think, the bold. And I'm going to add to that, you know, the astute and flexible. Why bold? You know, willing to experiment, take the calculated risk, right? Um, and, you know, I like what Martha said about what is it, alt, Right. Why astute? You need to guide experiments to increase the art of success. You need not only data, right, uh, insights, but also exercise good judgment, critical thinking, and in a rapidly changing industry, the you know the stakes are high because you know I think the competitive landscape will only become more competitive, both for employees and organizations, right? And flexible because despite all the astuteness, some experiments will go sideways. You know, be so be quick to pivot. And don't get hung up. All right. Thank you. Um, and those apply to organizations, leaders, employees, all, all the above. So um, four minutes and counting, and we got to give two to Sean. So um, so Janice, final takeaways. Martha, I could be stealing some from you here because I used to be an organizational behavior uh, prof and I'm more, so I'm always between the two. But for me, it's really just, um, so yes, um, change is still happening, but it's really about the the belief in the potential of people that comes out for me uh, and to really come, to, come back to understanding, you know, faith in people uh, to want to do their best, but also an understanding of people and what they want and what they need to be able to be at their best. So if they want freedom or autonomy, or as we say, influence rather than autonomy, if they, if they want that and um, to, to see that it's it's not about a, a give and take, we can go in the same right, right direction, but it's about understanding um, the ways that you can enable them to exert that influence on their, their, their daily work lives and to have those shared conversations about how these things can be managed in terms of the time that they are in or out of the office or the way they're doing things. Um, so I think for me, that's that's this, this notion of experimenting also um, and believing in potential people is what comes out very strongly there for me. Amazing. Thank you. Martha, final word. I believe we are at an inflection point, like Ramel said. We collectively have an opportunity to shape the evolution of work. We collectively have a responsibility to shape the evolution of work. And given the pace of change and what's going on in the environment, we need to do it together. So ask, listen, try uh, is about us doing it together. Couldn't have wrapped it better. A a huge thank you to Martha, to Ramel, to Janice uh, for giving us your time and and your expertise uh, and your authentic answers and and challenges to to our group. And thank you to everyone who joined us from across the world. Happy Global Ivy Day. It's great to see so many alumni and uh, and guests and friends uh, as as part of this uh, terrific community. 
Thank you for tuning in to Leadership in Practice. We'd like to thank our guests, Martha Masnevsky, Janice Byrne, and Ramel Mustafa. Leadership in Practice is produced by Melissa Welsh, Joanna Shepard, and me, Sean Acklin Grant. Editing and audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. You can also find more information by visiting ivyacademy.com or follow us on social media at Ivy Academy for more content, upcoming events, and programs. We hope you'll join us again soon.